Welcome back to the next part of this Truth and Rhythm episode. Be sure to subscribe to this channel. If you've already done so, please share it with friends. Also become a member by joining Truth and Rhythm on Patreon or consider donating at funkinstuff.net. Thank you so much for your interest and support. Enjoy. You mentioned, Ronald, about, you know, the funk being a little bit slower and some of those elements like that that were unique and special. Is there anything else, other ingredients that come to mind that sort of made that Commodore signature sound? Uh, of, of course, of course, it was uh, it, it was maybe fifty five percent Lionel Richie's voice, fifty five percent his voice. Uh, when he when we started, Lionel Richie came as a Baptist preacher ow girl you know he he came as a, a a baptist preacher and we picked that up in alabama because that was what church was you know and if they wanted to tell you something they'd, ah, you know uh we gotta get it ah thank that you need it and he he had that and he he really did that and it was just unique it was just unique the drummer Walter Owens was probably the only member of the group who was trained musically. Everyone else picked it up. You know, they just picked it up. They played by ear, guitar player. Thomas McClary, when he started playing, he had a capo on his guitar. So he would set the capo to the tune and he just played the chords that he knew. And he Robert Collins. <laughs> yeah, he just moved the capo. He was, he was not doing that he eventually got rid of the capo and he learned it and he played thomas mcclary even now if he goes to the toilet he takes his guitar with him and he sits there and he plays it every day oh you should have been you should have been the commodes if that's the case <laughs> we should have been <laughs> i believe we were more lucky than talented you know, I think that there was something looking over us that that it uh, maybe being in the Bible Belt from Alabama and knowing about the deity and and trying to carry ourselves that way, we we didn't advocate drugs. No one drank whiskey. We, we didn't tear up hotels like most bands would do, throw the TVs out the window and have the fans every place. We didn't do that, you know. So we had a guiding spirit that, that 
that uh, was out of our hand. It just happened, you know, it just happened. And I tell my wife, even, even though uh, my, my mother didn't raise any crazy children, they were all ugly. <laughs> so lucky is better, you know. <laughs> how, how big was your family? I have I have one brother and two sisters. Musical at all, or are you the only one? Uh, my younger, my older sister, my brother, we all sang in the choir or, or played. My brother played trumpet in the band, in the marching band. My younger sister plays piano. And we, as the four would sing together you know we would go to the church and we would sing songs and we would sing around the house and things but i'm the only one who really got into music really got into it but i think as you said and indicated ronald i mean it was the chemistry of the band also just that unique chemistry that you know is sort of like if you go back to the Beatles, you know, the, the sum of the parts is greater than, or the, the holes is more than the sum of the parts, or however that saying goes, you yeah. know, and, and I think that, and also just writing great songs too. Yeah. Yeah. Writing great songs. You can't do music business without music. You've got to have music to do business. <laughs> and we were, we were lucky when, when Lionel Richie wrote, uh, just to be close to you, I told him, I said, hey, man, uh, I, I, I think that uh, you're a pretty good songwriter, you know. I said, I, I think you're a pretty good songwriter. And then he wrote, uh, then he wrote, uh, uh, what's that? Uh, this is your life. Mm. He, he wrote that. Uh, 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 then he wrote, Sweet love. When he did sweet love, I said, okay. I said, okay, this you bona fide now. I say, you've done it three times in a row. And they were all different. I said, they were all different. And then after that, easy. And then after that, three times a lady. And then after that, sail on down the line. I said, okay, go on. I said, all right, go on. Yeah. So he was he was really blessed and we were blessed to have him with us you know mm, no doubt mm. <laughs> do you remember what uh, it was like being part of that thank god it's friday experience mm. that was the funniest thing that that was the funniest thing we were we were in la and uh, uh this producer came up to the manager and said, look, we want you to act in this movie. And he said, act? <laughs> he said, you want the Commodores back? He said, yeah, we're going to do this thing. Like the Commodores are coming to do a show, and it's the highlight of the thing, the show. And uh, he said, but we need a song for it. We went to Atlanta. We went to Atlanta, and we... We walked into the studio, had no idea, had no idea. And uh, uh, I think William King said, uh, 
let's try this. He said, let's try this. And he played something on the piano. And then, and then Walter Arnn said, it's hot. He said, this is hot. And then Tommy said, this is too hot to try. And that's how that song came about. And, and we did that song. I think it took us eight hours to do that song. And we had no idea. And it just fell into place like it was supposed to be, you know? It is lucky. I'm telling you, we're lucky as we could be. Well, yeah, you were just flying so high, then you could almost do no wrong, right? I mean, <laughs> almost, yeah, almost. Wow. Yeah. But you know, it's uh, it's uh, when you when when you look at it, when you look at it and look back at it, your 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 hindsight is twenty twenty. You know, and sure. uh, you can see you can see where everything started to go south. South, yeah, <laughs> everything started to go south. Uh, there was there was uh, okay. First, Mylon Williams wrote the first hit song, and uh, his royalties came, and his life changed much quicker than the rest of the fellows. So uh, then Lionel Richie wrote a song. Now, sorry. Then Thomas McClary wrote Slippery When Wet and I Feel Sanctified. And... His life changed. Uh, uh, William King and I did the Young Girls of My Weakness. And uh, uh, after that, Lionel Richie started writing the songs and he did it for a thing. And then you could see, you could see that little bit of separation coming in as far as each individual was. We had a we had a, a a thing in place where if you wrote the song, you get fifty one percent of it. Forty nine percent of it was dispersed amongst the group to try and keep them close together. You know, try to keep them close together. It worked. It worked for a while, and then. Uh, Lionel Richie started producing things on other people, Diana Ross, Kenny Rogers. I started producing things on other people, uh, The Seventh Wonder, A Taste of Honey. Uh, uh, we started doing it. And then uh, Lionel Richie said, okay, we don't want to split this up like that. And this is when it started to... Splinter, yeah, it started to splinter then, and and uh, I mean it was nothing we could do about it. I mean it was it was nothing we could do about it. That was just the natural process of what happens, you know. That that is the natural process, and it it happened to many, 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 many people before. Most of them, really. Yeah, <laughs> you know, at some point, Curtis Mayfield and the, and the impression. It happened to them. It happened to Rufus and Shaka Khan. There you go. It, it happened to everybody. 
everybody happens like that. Uh, LTD, Jeffrey who you before. Yeah. yeah, Jeffrey Osborne. We think it's the same person, same time. Frankie yeah. Beverly Mays. There you go. There you go. It happened like that. Then Charlie Wilson left Gap Band. Uh, uh, the, the singer for Confunction left. Michael uh, Cooper. Yeah. yeah. It was it was just, you know, it the natural order of things. But yeah. I thought I thought that we were bigger than that. I thought that the Commodores were bigger than that. I thought that we had we had suffered hard and we pulled and pushed each other along, you know. So uh, uh, I thought that the glue was thicker. But how how did the news come that Lionel was going on his own? You know, do you remember that? Uh, oh, I remember. I remember. I remember all of it. <laughs> it was. Uh, it started out that he wanted to do his own single album. You know, he wanted to do his own single album. Well, not really him. Motown wanted him to do a single album. Uh, I said, I said that uh, Phil Collins and Genesis did it. Say Phil Collins went out, did an album, and then uh, when he goes on tour, he comes back and goes out with his group. I say we should accept that, let it go. You know, give him give him the opportunity to do that, but don't push it. Don't don't make an issue out of it. You know. Just let him do it. And uh, somehow or another, jealousy got into it and things just went south. And, and uh, someone, someone negotiated that there were some shows that we could have done in the summer for the summer fest across USA. Say there were maybe eight or 10 shows that we could do. They say, okay, we do these eight or 10 shows and we'll let you go. And I said, no, no, we're not going to do it. We'll do the eight or 10 shows and we'll let him go do his album. We'll we leave it like that. But now they negotiated. They wanted to give him his opportunity to go. I don't think he really wanted to go. I know he wanted to do the album, but I don't think he really wanted to separate himself from the Commodore. But I think... It was just orchestrated so he was pushed out. And, and then it all, went, it all went south after that. Very disappointing for fans like myself, for sure. And, you know, because for me, I mean, neither one was as appealing and good apart you know um i was not a huge fan of the material that lionel richie did on his own and the commodores you know were missing a little bit of you know what they had um yeah so um, yeah i uh i thought that uh i thought that uh it's only for me to be honest you know it's only for me to be honest i thought that uh I thought that J.D. Nicholas, good guy, but I didn't think that he was powerful enough to be in front of that group. Uh, uh, I, uh, 
<laughs> I was accustomed to Lionel Richie's power and force and his words and, and uh, his ability to, because we trained him. We trained him. Everything he learned, he learned from the Commodore. We, we, we were in rehearsal there. We did that. And then after, after being the Commodores with Lionel Richie and all of that, I think 28 years is good. It's long enough, you know? I think that was long enough. And, and uh, I just said, okay. I said, okay, uh, but I had made in my mind that at, at 36, I was going to retire and at broke, rich, famous, whatever. I was going to retire because at 36, I got time if I need to, to do something else. Uh, but uh, I retired at 38 and uh, it was good. I, I mean, after you go around the world 18, 20 times, nothing else to see. Hmm. <laughs> it's nothing else to see. But I miss the fellas. I miss the excitement of the travel and the shows and things like that. But I think I'm in a better place now. <laughs> <laughs> I think I am now. Yeah, yeah you get an argument from me. Um, yeah. On that, you know, yeah. Um, what was I going to ask? I agree with you about JD. Um, it seemed like an unusual, like left turn. Um, yeah. And, you know, when you think about the bands, you know, where the vocalists left, there's not too many success stories. I can only think of a couple and they're on the rock side. I can't even think yeah. of any R and B groups or black groups that had a prominent lead singer who left and they got someone else who just stepped right in. Yeah. It was uh, be because uh Every song that we did, Lionel Richie was the lead singer. So to the public, Lionel Richie was a group. To the, to the, to the public, Lionel Richie was a group. And if they saw somebody trying to imitate him, and I thought that when he left the group, we should have got a totally different singer, not one that did ballads, because Lionel Richie was going to be there doing his ballads, and there's no need for us to try to be like that. I thought that that was the perfect opportunity to go back to funky music mm. and go back to funky music. And we could have done that very easily without Richie. Uh, what could have been? Yeah, what could have been. But like I say, hindsight is always twenty twenty. Were there many uh, vocalists considered when JD got the job? I think we had, uh, I think we had maybe 25, 30 people to audition. Hmm. And we had 25, 30 people to audition all over. There was, uh, there were a couple of young boys from San Francisco that uh, I thought they were nice. I thought they were nice, but they had a they had a raspy voice and they were they were built for funky music you know mm. the sound was built for funky music and it wouldn't be trying to be three times a lady or easy or anything like that it would be just something different and and uh i think i was the only one who saw it that way when you talk about the funk though i i think i heard maybe it was from mcclary 
that you guys did do like some small club shows here and there that weren't like really promoted and stuff like that, where you guys were able to like kind of get more raw and just play some funk. Is that accurate? Yeah. 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 We did. Uh, we did some nice, we did some nice places and we got a chance to get into, get into the little small areas and do the funky music. Oh, and it was so nice. But when you, when you, we fought a long time trying to get on the pop chart. You know, pop charts in those days for black entertainers was really an uphill climb, you know. It was Especially really, if you weren't disco, yeah. That's right. It was really an uphill climb. And uh, we, we struggled and struggled and struggled. And then we got on the pop charts. And uh, Motown was glad of that because Motown was usually 45 selling company. They sold singles. Commodores came around. They started selling albums. And uh, uh, now we know that we were important to them. <laughs> now we know that we were good for them. And, uh, but they, were, they, they did all right by us, too. No question. And I, I think if, uh, you know, thinking back in that hindsight, had there not been Commodores on Motown, there might not have been Rick James on Motown, you know, and things That's like right. that, because you guys kind of broke the Motown mold, you know, with yeah, that assembly right. line, you know, that assembly line, they had that thing going, man, and they tried to put us in that and it just didn't work. It just didn't work. Eddie Bungo with, with the fabulous Funk Brothers, uh, all of the people, I knew them. They were, they were all awesome. Uh, uh, the bass player, James Jameson. Uh, my, my mouth would just drop when I walked in the room and he's there playing because he was an awesome bass player. But he played different to me. And we didn't want to, we didn't want to sound like that. We wanted to do some other stuff. And uh, luckily, Barry Gordon heard it and he let us do it. Did you guys ever play on anything uncredited on the Motown label, like for other acts? I did. Uh, I did a couple of songs with a friend of mine and uh, a couple of friends. Uh, Norman Whitfield. I played on a couple of his tracks. I played on a couple of uh, Marvin Gaye's tracks, you know, because we, we would go after studio in LA and we go to his studio and we just fooled around. We just fooled around and he said, man, I, I, I use that bass part. I use that bass part. I said, okay, man, cool. Let's go ahead. It's, it's cool. But usually James Carmichael told me, he said, Ron, if you produce someone and you play with them, then you're going to take the Commodore sound and give it to somebody else. So whatever you do, don't play with them. <laughs> he said, don't play. You can produce them, but don't play. Mm. Mm. Now, I've heard rumors that uh, Billy Bass Nelson from Funkadelic played on like Brickhouse. Did he play on any Commodore's <laughs> material? <laughs> no, he didn't play Brickhouse, no. Because <laughs> okay. he no, was he... playing on some Motown stuff like The Temptations, I know, and things like that. But um, I've heard rumors that he was in some Commodore sessions. So I want to make that very clear right now talking to you. 
No, he was never in a Commodore session. And uh, he didn't play Brick House, I promise you that. <laughs> no, he didn't play that. Yeah. When I when I wrote the song, when I wrote the track of Brick House, uh, we were now. Nah, this is it's gonna go to the world now. <laughs> we were imitating Ohio players. Bow, 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 bow. And I say, get down, get down, 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 get down, down, down. I was imitating the Ohio player. Marshall Jones. Yeah. That's it. That, I was doing that. I thought that uh, skin tight and uh, uh, and uh, what's that thing? Uh, you're a real fine lady. That is skin tight. Uh, yeah. I, said, I thought that Sugarfoot voice was so funky in that. Oh, I, I, I love that. I love that song. I love that track. And uh, that, that sweet, sweet, sticky thing. Oh, oh yeah. that, was, that was nice. Too. I got to tell you, Ronald, uh, Skin Tight was the first album I ever bought as a kid on my own. Really? Yeah. Uh, that, was, that was something. I mean, that was something. That was really a funky funky song and it hit the world but boom and they just went right on with it yeah wow i didn't know that that uh was influenced by that but uh, it sure had that came from a similar place you know you could tell yeah. that yeah w what was there a uh, commodore song that was a big surprise to you that ended up being a hit like was there one you're like just like wow okay <laughs> uh uh uh, Too Hot to Trot was the one. Yeah. Too Hot to Trot, we did that song in a few hours. And uh, when we finished it, I thought we needed to do a little bit more work to it. I think we needed to do something else, do something else. And then uh, it got in the movie, and they kept playing it, and they kept playing it, and they kept playing it. And I said, wow. I, I said, okay, well, I guess, I guess they like it. <laughs> I guess they like it. Yeah, that was the song that I had no faith in. <laughs> you know, it uh, comes to mind another song I thought should have been a bigger hit was High on Sunshine. Yeah. Yeah, that was a that was a nice song. It was it was a nice song. It was well written. It was well written. But I thought that I thought that the groove started and stopped. Too many times. I thought it started and stopped. Once you once you start, if it started slow and then it started to go up, and just as the crowd would get into it, it would stop and go back down to slow again. I didn't like that. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I, like well, that. in a way, didn't Zoom kind of do that a little bit too? Zoom, uh, Zoom kept going. It. Uh, it, it 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 kept it it never slowed down. It it always had the feeling that it was going someplace else. Yes, da 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 da, and uh, that was uh, that was the 
first song with the Commodores that I wrote from the piano. I, I wrote I wrote Zoom from the piano. I didn't I didn't write it from the bass like I did everything else. Yeah, so it 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 just kept going. I thought yeah. that song. I'm not sure it, it charted that much, but man, on, I grew up in Los Angeles on radio. I mean, it was played constantly. It was yeah. it may as well have been like a number one hit. Yeah, yeah, they. Uh, we had a thing where uh, we said that the best song that's recorded during the session will be the 45. And when we did Zoom and we finished it and mixed it and we played it, James Carmichael said, Brother Ron, he said, you got the best song on the album. But what we want to do is we want to keep the song on the album so that they have to get the album and not the song. So I had to make another sacrifice. <laughs> wow, yeah. you're so magnanimous. Um, yeah. Uh, do you remember uh, doing the track Say Yeah? Do you have any memories about how that came to be on Natural High? Say Yeah. Uh, that was just, just, just. Uh, my rendition of Chasing a Woman. <laughs> that was it. Uh, so, yeah, down, 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 just say, yeah. Yeah, that was, that was my rendition of, of a slow song that turned into Tamia's uh, uh, I Like, I Really Like. What you done to me, I can't. To me, it did say yeah and and wrote the words on top of it like that. Hmm. Yeah, so say yeah is uh, to me. Yeah. And uh, uh, yeah, that is, that, is, that is it. Very nice song. Yeah, yeah, I know a lot of Commodore fans you know serious yeah. fans that really like that one too yeah yeah which uh which uh album do you think is the most fully realized out of the catalog oh i i, I believe it was either natural high or or uh, the Commodores, Commodores, Commodore album. I call it the blue album, but yeah. Yeah, the blue one. Yeah, I think I, I think that one, people resonated with that album more so than most of them. They, they, they took a lot of songs off of other albums, but I think that album was, was more together with people than the blue, the blue album. Because there was a tour that we did with that blue album, and and uh, uh, I think uh, we did the tour, and the emotions, the emotions were the opening act, and uh, we we went and we toured around the USA. They had uh, "Best of My Love," and we had uh, "Brick House." And they kept changing from one to two, 
Uh, Best of My Love was number one. And then Brick House will go to number one. And then Best of My Love will go back to that. And we started, we started doing the tour and we were, we were planning to do two days in every city and we ended up doing four. So uh, the tour, it was a very, very successful tour. You know? And a lot of people knew that. What a great bill. I mean, Rejoice, their album too, was such a huge hit at that time. The whole record was great. Uh, and and uh, I think because of that tour, because of that tour, Earth, Wind and & Fire and the Commodores fell out because Earth, Wind & Fire produced a song for Emotions and we got the group to go with us. And so they didn't like <laughs> They didn't like that. <laughs> How, did you guys find this camp? It, the quietness kept. There was no way on my bus when we were on tour that anybody could play Earth, Wind, and Fire. Didn't happen. <laughs> so you guys never did a uh, show that also had Earth, Wind, and Fire on it. We did. Oh, we had a, we had a show. We did uh, Kansas City, Missouri with the Earth, Wind and Fire. The first night, the we had two shows. The first night, they said that they wanted to be the headliner. They wanted us to open for them. So we said, okay. We went out, we opened the show, and we fired that place up. And then they came out and they did their show. They did a great show, but they were under the barrel of that machine gun, so it was rough for them. The next night, they came back and they said, we're going to open the show tonight and you close it. So we said, okay. We, they went out. They played a beautiful show. We came out there. We stomped a mud hole in Earth, Wind, and Fire. And after they took the equipment, the, the sound, and the stage and the lights. After they took that out and got it into the bus, I mean, into the trucks and trailers, the center beam in that auditorium fell down into the audience. But no one was there. Oh, thank God. Yeah, no one was there. And that's what you really call bringing the house down. <laughs> <laughs> the center beam in the auditorium failed. Wow. It was something, yeah. <laughs> Two hours earlier, there was 40,000 people in there. Mm. Mm. Was, was there a, a group that you remember from them that um, just super impressed you with how they performed, you know? Just one. Barcades. Oh. Just one. The Barcades. If you went on stage with the Barcades and you weren't ready, they would hurt you. They would hurt you. Those that the Barcades, that singer, that singer could, could sing like Maurice White or Lionel Richie or whoever he wanted to sound like. He could do it. And they would just, and the band was tight as a snare drum. They were, they were, you, you, you couldn't be slacking if you got on stage with the Barcades. Wow. I mean, everybody was good. Uh, uh, Eddie Levert from the OJs, he would blow your mind if he got on stage and he was ready to go, you know. 
uh, hard to work with the Jackson Five. Hard to work because those young boys, they were really playing those instruments and they were doing the dances and they were hot. I mean, it was a lot of things. Chaka Khan. You, if, 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 you, if you weren't ready, don't go on the stage with Chaka now because she was really pro at that. She would, she would light your fire quickly. Uh, Sly Stone, we never got a chance to play with Sly Stone, but I would go to his concert. Sly Stone and Larry Graham was what really started me on funky music. Larry Graham was, was just awesome because of the place that he was in, in the music. Just the place and the way that he played it. I always thought that Larry Graham was the personality in Sly and the Family Stone. Mm. Yeah, yeah well, his, his band was great, too. Graham Central yeah. Station, you know? Yeah, but, yeah. Graham Central Station, yeah, they were, they were nice. They were really nice. Yeah. Did, did you ever cross paths with uh, like Bootsy or any of the guys from Parliament Funkadelic? I, I knew Bootsy when he was playing with James Brown. <laughs> when he was playing with James Brown, and uh, he was he was really mostly around Cincinnati up there. You know, there was uh, 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 Ohio players. There was uh, what was the, the Trotman boys, uh, uh, Roger Trotman, and that. Uh, uh, and then that was Bootsy Collins up there with with uh, hey baby he was <laughs> he was he was something different kind of a bass different kind of bass you know he played a little bit more rock and roll bass than funky but he was in the right place always in the right place did did the Commodores ever do a show with the Isley Brothers we have we have worked with. Pretty much everybody. Yeah, we worked with the Isley Brothers. We we did the Isley Brothers. We did. Um, wow, it's 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 hard to say people that we didn't work with. LTD, uh, Gap Band, Confunction, uh, Frankie Beverly, uh, Taste the Honey. Uh, you know, I I had uh, Janice was just on the show and. Uh, we went back. And yeah. I, I went back and listened to that midnight uh, track that you were involved with. Yeah, man, that was a funky track. That that's that's my gear. Uh, yeah, you get down 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 Midnight snack. There you yeah. go. <laughs> yeah, that was that was son. That was that was before Missy Elliott. Mm-hmm. And I told him, I say, if we can be as provocative. With this music, a woman saying things like, oh, I woke up one morning, my body was hot, you know, and, and uh, say, I called my man and he said, come on over. Before I could hang up the phone, he was at the door knocking, right and ready to go out. Come on in and have a midnight snack in the sack. And, and uh, Capitol Records, they freaked out for that. They freaked out. They say this is just this is just too out there. Two months later, Missy Elliott come out. Well, you got a big thing. I want to work it. I say, oh god dang. <laughs> I said, oh, we should, we should have been out there first. 
Timing but is so important. That is the one. That is the one. Yeah. But Hazel and Janice, uh, I love to work with them. They were not only competitors, they were my friends too, you know. We would we, we would hang out, we would do things, we so we just long time. Janice, that's my girl. That's my girl. Hmm. Yep. This is great. Um, the reason I brought up the Eiser brothers was only because when I look back at that era, if if somebody asks me, I would say the biggest like R and B black bands that crossed over and sold the most were probably the Iser brothers, earth, wind and fire commodores, Ohio players and parliament funkadelic. Those five were, you know, the biggest. So, um, and it was different, like one year, one of one was bigger and it was kind of like some jockeying. It was like, well, earth, wind and fire is the biggest. Then the next year it was like, Hey, the commoners are the biggest now, you know? (laughs) Yeah. We, I was one in five. When we were younger, uh, Verdine, his wife that he married now. Uh, oh, Shelly. Yeah, Shelly. And, and uh, Shelly had a girlfriend who I was dating. So every time we get to, get to California, Verdine and I would end up in the same place because we were dating two of the same girls, but we hated each other. <laughs> we hated each other, but respect, you know, respect. But as far as the music was concerned, no, no, no. <laughs> that was the biggest rivalry in the business. Yes, yes, I lived through it. I can vouch for it for sure. <laughs> but, inter- but, it's, but it's great to hear your actual perspective being on the inside of it, you know, and, and what yeah, that was like. Yeah. Um, so I got to mention, you know, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I feel like it's uh, snubbed the Commodores to this point. Uh, is that something that you ever think about or how do you feel about I, that? I, I, think, I think about it, but, you know, uh, I mean, I can I can go around and, and raise my voice and get upset and do all of that, but it is what it is. They have not put us in there. I don't know why. I, I don't know why. Uh, we probably sold more records than a lot of people who are in there now. Mm-hmm. We 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 did a lot of things, but still, I'm happy with my life. I'm happy. Hall of Fame would be something, but I'm happy with where I am. I, I mean, I've really been blessed. Oh, absolutely. I'm not saying you should lose sleep about it, but you know, <laughs> yeah. I do think, I do feel like it's a bit of an injustice. So yeah. I gotta gotta mention it and I want to put it out there whenever I can. Yeah. Whoever has those powers that be, both yeah. the Commodores in where they belong, you know? <laughs> yeah. I think now they're, they're in New York, up near Small's Paradise, they are naming a street, Benny Ashburn and the Commodore Street, up, uh, what's that, 135th or something like that, uh, up, up by uh, the old Small's Paradise. Oh, is that happening this year? Or? Yeah, it should be happening pretty soon. Yeah, I got, a, I got an email that said, uh, do you want to come? I say to New York, yes, I want to come, but can I? <laughs> Can I come? Yeah. That's great. Yeah, we'll yeah. look forward to that. I'll keep an eye out for that. 
And yeah. um, how close did you guys ever come to like reuniting for whatever reason with Lionel? We, I am probably the only one who gets in touch with everybody. I'm constantly in contact with William King and Walter Orange and Tommy and Richie and Mylon and I were the the two golfers on the on on the thing. So every time I go and he was alive, we we play golf and we do that. There was one time some people wanted to do a show in South Africa, and they wanted Richie to go. I talked to Richie. He said, okay, uh, let's see what happens. Uh, it didn't eventuate because I, I had something on their side, you know, something on their side. And then uh, we found out that they wanted to do at Sun City the reunion. And then we, we were not going to do that because that was at Sun City. They won't allow black people to come in. So, so there was no need for a black group to be there and black people can't come and see it. So we, we, we got out of that. There was, uh, just recently universal pictures wanted to do, wanted to do a documentary on the Commodores and they wanted all of us to do it. And we were close to that, but, Richie is doing something now with uh, Disney and what's that? Uh, uh, the TV show that he's on now. Uh, uh, oh, got a senior moment. What is that? <laughs> oh, oh, the the singing like competition show is it? Or? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, it's one of those. I don't watch them, but yeah, yeah, I know that's right. He's he's on that and he's doing that, and they they got him pretty tied up. So, so we have to let that go. But I mean, I've always that has always been my dream to get on stage one time with those fellas once again, just for the fun of it. You know, just for the fun of it. Uh, I I think I'm too old to go on the road and tour like we did before uh i've been comfortable here in new zealand for the last 34 years so uh i'm do, not do, do you pick up the bass at all or i mean do you play on your own if i were if i were not on vacation up here fishing with my son i'd be in the studio at home i work every day i play some bass and some keyboard and some singing i do it every day because that's my joy, you know. I, I, I love it. I believe that God gave me that gift, and I'm going to use it until I can't do it anymore. What about putting out your own stuff? Have you done that or thought about it? Or? I, 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 uh, I'm always doing my own stuff. I'm always doing my own stuff. But to put it out and to be competitive or to be disappointed or to be, you know, I'm not after that. All I want to do is just hear what I'm, what I'm thinking and how I put it together and what happens with the music. That's all I want. What kind of stuff, styles do you usually play for yourself? 
Oh boy, I got, I, I do a lot of stuff, country western, rock and roll, I do funky music, I do ballads, I do, you know, a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff. And I saw, how many children do you have? I have three kids. One's a stepchild, uh, my son, who was, said he was a technician. That's my stepson. He's been with me ever since he was four years old. He's now 40. <laughs> He's now 40. I have a son in Alabama, and I have a daughter by my wife here. So I have three kids. Any musical interests for them? My daughter is in L.A. right now writing with the producer and arranger for Doja Cat. Hmm. So she's, uh, she went to school in L.A. for music. And she's a female producer and writer, and she's, she's an engineer. She does that. She's really into music. Does she use your last name? Yeah, Soraya Lapre. Yeah. I have to yeah. look for that, too. Yeah, but. Um, yeah, man, the people obviously would just flip if you guys ever got to back, back together at least, you know, one final time. And maybe going to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame will do it if that happens, you know? Yeah, yeah, but it'll, it'll do it. I'm, believe you me, I am trying to get the Commodores together to do anything, anything, because I enjoy listening to Thomas McClary play his guitar. I enjoy watching Walter Orange play his drum. I love to listen to Richie sing. I, I, I like to play bass with those people. Yeah, I like that. I want to do that. I would do it anywhere in the world free of charge. Mm. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't ask for anything. Just to be there would be a great moment in my life. Oh, man. We'll keep our fingers crossed and our prayers going. And hopefully, yeah. you know, while we still have at least five still yeah. with us. You know, I know that's right. Pray for me. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. I prayed, you know, that we would connect like this and we could do a great, uh, you know, conversation and it came true. So yeah, thank you yeah. so much, man. It's been yeah. so great talking to you and indeed my pleasure. My wow. pleasure. Take good mm -hmm. care of yourself and, uh, you know, consider putting some of that music you do out into the, you know, universe sometime yeah for sure what i'll do what i will do when i get back and get with my engineer i will get him to make a little compilation of some of the songs that i'm doing i'll send it to you and you yeah. tell me you tell yeah. me should you put I it out that. or what <laughs> you tell me i'll i'll shoot straight I'll shoot yeah straight. for sure i don't mind that yeah i don't mind that i like shooting straight that's why i sent it to you because i want <laughs> an honest opinion yeah. Yeah. Well, that's why I called the show Truth and Rhythm because, yeah. you know, no time yeah. for, for fake news. Um, yeah, for sure. For take, sure. take good care of yourself. I'm so glad that you've made it through this craziness, you know, uh, yeah. intact. So continue, yeah. continue Indeed. to take good care Indeed. of you. It was great talking with you. We will be in touch. We will stay in touch. Yeah. yeah. yeah Excellent. For sure. Yeah, for sure. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Truth and Rhythm. 
A big thank you goes out to our guest as well as to you, the viewer and listener. Also, much gratitude to Pleasure for supplying the show's funky opening and closing music. As a reminder, you can always access the complete list of linked shows by episode at funkinstuff.net. I urge you to support this program and receive the extra benefits along with that by subscribing to the Funk and Stuff channel on YouTube and sharing it with funk, R&B, and jazz lovers, joining Truth and Rhythm's membership program at Patreon, submitting a donation at funkandstuff.net, buying Everything is on the One, the first guide to funk book at Amazon, shopping at the Funky Things store for cool merchandise at funkandstuff.net, and linking through funkandstuff.net for all of your Amazon purchases. In addition, if you're an artist or anyone seeking proven, results-oriented, professional marketing, PR, writing, or editing consultation or production, check out the Media Services section at funkinstuff.net. Also, I encourage you to drop me a line at scottg at funkinstuff.net. I love the feedback, suggestions, guest requests, appearance and sponsorship inquiries, and just talking about my favorite subject, groove-based music. For now, and as always, this is Scott Dr. GX Goldfine saying, keep on keep vibing, on vibing to the rhythm of the one.